Welcome to the Everyone's a Critic Movie Review Podcast. I'm your co-host, Bob Zarrell. With me, as always, is professional film critic, Sean Patrick. Visit us at IHateCritics.net, Everyone'sACriticPodcast.com. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Our handle is CriticsPod. Uh, listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Alexa, all your podcatchers. We're also on YouTube. If you want to listen to us live on usually Monday nights, around 7 or 8 central time depending on the week we will post to our social media sites uh, when we do go live uh, if you go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the show give us a 5 star review we will read your review on the air and we will also give you a copy of one of the 4K Blu-ray uh, DVD physical copy that Sean has gotten from several of our uh, distribution companies that want us to review their movies uh, patreon.com slash critics pod is the best way to help support the podcast uh, get some of our bonus episodes where we talk more than just movies uh, but we also do deep dives into like A24 and other uh, albums and movies and then finally T Public. if you go to ihatecritics.net there's a T Public link in the upper right hand corner or you can just go to T Public and search critics pod alright Sean I'm going to turn over to you let's start the show yeah I wanted to call attention to this because I don't think enough people will really have heard enough about this. It's the Film Foundation and Martin Scorsese working together on a monthly screening series for uh, films that have been restored by the Film Foundation under the direction of Martin Scorsese. They did another one just tonight that I literally just finished before we, we started here called uh, Semba Zanga. And this is a movie set in Angola in 1961, uh, directed by Sarah Maldoror. And why that's interesting is that Sarah Maldoror was the first african-born woman to direct a movie in africa and that is uh pretty remarkable 1972 was the first time that happened and she was the first and unfortunately not long after she finished the movie it was taken away from her by the distributors uh and just uh, the rights were just transferred here and there to the point where the film began to fade uh, until finally the film foundation got their hands on it and did a full and complete restoration that they just showed tonight. And uh, I believe they're sharing with the Criterion Collection. Uh, so, that can, uh, so that can be released hopefully soon or in the next uh, year or so. A uh, brand new full restoration. There is a version on YouTube, I believe, that is not a very good version of it. This is, like I said, a fully restored version that they just showed for the first time tonight uh, with an introduction by Martin Scorsese. And it really is a powerful film about a woman whose husband is arrested in the middle of the night uh, by, uh, por- by the Portuguese authorities. Uh, Portugal runs out, out uh, Angola at this time, and uh, they take him into custody on suspicion that he's uh, doing something, planning to kill white people, essentially. Um, whether he is or not is not important. What is important is that she walks for, for three straight days to get to the prison where he is with her baby on her back. Meanwhile, there's other revolutionaries who are working to try and figure out who he is and see if they need if they're they're even capable of rescuing him. And where it goes from there is incredibly tragic and sad, but also very inspiring and, and beautiful in a way. And uh, I think everybody should see Sambazanga if you have a chance. Of, unfortunately, you've missed it today, but <laughs> if you get a chance to find this one, uh, it is really uh, when it comes out in Criterion. I'm sure it'll be beautiful and and definitely worth owning. Is she still alive? She passed away in 2020. So I don't think she ever got to see this full and complete restoration. It's awful. Yeah. It's really cool that he's doing this. I know you mentioned it a long time ago. 
that he's I've mentioned, yeah, I've, I've seen every, uh, there've been four months, five months now, I believe. And I've seen four of the five that have done, I've written a couple articles about, about the ones I've seen, like the, he did a, uh, a Fellini movie, uh, right. just earlier there. And, uh, then a couple of film noir before that. And it's just been incredible, uh, incredible to watch. And he's still got more planned for the rest of the year and they're free. They're streaming online for free. So, you know, just, if you go to, if you look up the Film Foundation on uh, DelphiQuest.com is one of their websites, uh, you can actually just take part in this. Uh, every, it's on the second Monday of any, or second or third Monday of the month. And uh, yeah, it's free. You can watch these incredible movies fully restored with an introduction by Martin Scorsese, interviews with the cast, all of it for free online because Martin Scorsese just really wants you to see these movies. That's awesome. Do they ever get... Like this one's going to be Criterion Collection. Do they get a release after that, or is it kind of a one-off and then we're done? I uh, I believe, like I said, I think this is going to Criterion, so I'm 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 not sure what they. I'm sure they're planning on rolling that out on on a special edition Blu-ray in the future. That's awesome. Yeah, I I that's very cool that he's doing that. And uh, one more I want to mention that I wrote about today that you can find at Podcast Sean on Twitter uh, is that I wrote about uh, Sean Baker's first movie. Uh, Sean Baker, the Florida Project director, directed a movie back in 2004 that didn't actually come out until 2007 because it was so uh, different and unique. It's called Takeout, and it's just a day in the life of a guy who was an immigrant from China who works 14-hour days riding his bicycle delivering food, and you just watch his day. Uh, he owes money to a group of people who brought him to the country, and he can't seem to get catch, catched up no matter what he does. So the debt just keeps building, and he wants to send money home to his wife and the child that was born since he's been gone uh, that he's never seen yet um, so he can bring them to America. And It's about the challenges that he's facing trying to do this while also trying to pay off this massive debt so they don't, break his arms or whatever uh it's a really great piece of filmmaking and it's available tomorrow on the criterion collection uh dvd is when they're releasing that and uh sean baker himself uh retweeted my review today so i really appreciate that uh, he's a really kind guy and with that with that retweet he also included a link to buy the criterion collection dvd so good nice. for him i do hope people uh follow that link and and buy the movie it's called takeout Awesome. He co-directed it with a with a, a, a fellow Chinese immigrant who uh, co-directed it with him, co-wrote it, and uh, helped produce it, and has worked with him throughout his career. That's awesome. <clears throat> All right, let's move on to the theatrical films this week, or at least two of them. I don't know about the other two, <laughs> uh, but uh, we'll start with the two that I saw, and we'll start with the big one. Barbarian. The number one movie in America, Barbarian. Although it was a pretty terrible week at the box office once again. Uh, to the point where our local theater in the Quad Cities actually cut their hours. They're not even doing late night shows during the week anymore, only on the weekends. I couldn't this was only uh only available in Davenport. Yeah. I looked at Galesburg, I looked at Moline. I mean I because I'm kind of in the middle of all of them now. Mm-hmm. No, I mean I could have gone to Muscatine. But <laughs> literally, there was nowhere to see this other than there was seven thirty showing, or I had to wait till ten twenty on Saturday night. Which, if that would have happened, I would have wouldn't have been able to go. My wife and I went. There were no seats next to each other, so we just sit in the front row. Oh wow! Uh, that's how 
a few screenings there were of this. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, go ahead. Yeah, uh, this is directed by Zach Kreger, who is not a guy who's known for horror movies. He was one of the guys in the uh, comedy troupe, The Whitest Kids You Know. And before this, uh, the only movie he'd been part of was a terrible film called Miss March. Uh, so I was kind of surprised to see his name at the top of this, but also I uh, come away very glad because he's directed one hell of a movie. Uh, the film star is Georgina Campbell as a young woman who travels to Detroit uh, for a job interview. She's booked herself an Airbnb in uh, the middle of nowhere, Detroit. And uh, once she arrives, she finds out that the uh, house has already been uh, rented out to somebody else via a different uh, app of some sort. Uh, that's Bill Skarsgård, who's already there. He invites her in. Uh, they hang out. They have a good time. And then uh, things progress to where she finds this room in the basement that is clearly a murder room. Uh, just an unquestionably a murder room. It's all it has. It is a bed, a bucket, and a camera pointing at the bed. Like, that's a murder room. That's a rape murder room, no doubt. Um, she continues to, uh, she, you know, she's, she's smart enough to want to get out of there, but she's also locked. She gets locked in the basement, so she's kind of trapped. And she finds even more uh, space underneath this house that uh, goes even deeper than that. Uh, then Bill Skarsgård goes in there as well. And suddenly, just out of nowhere, bam, we're into a whole other film. Uh, where Justin Long plays a movie star who is accused of sexual assault and has his uh, television pilot canceled, and he's a he's a real douchebag. <laughs> he's just a real jerk. Uh, he happens to be the guy who owns this house and has owned it for a while, even though he's never really been there. Uh, he's from Michigan, and so that's how he came about having the house. He goes to the house to find uh, to find it. Uh, there's still people there, essentially. Their bags are there, but they're missing. Uh, he doesn't know where they are, and uh, we kind of have an idea where they are, but whether they're alive or dead, we don't know. Uh, but where, what progresses from there? It's just a really great series of scenes. This movie is so smart and so funny. It builds this amazing horror movie tension and then lets it out with the, the kind of laughter that is not intentionally funny. Like it's not a joke. It's this kind of necessary, like absurdity. It's just so absurd that you, that you're both terrified by it, but also it's very funny. Uh, the sight of this particular, there's a particular uh, evil character in this movie that is both a terrifying sight, but also kind of weirdly hilarious in the way it moves and uh, other aspects of it that I don't want to spoil. Uh, there's a whole other character down there as well that has a, another role to play in this that plays out incredibly well. Uh, I love the way that Zach Kreger and his cinematographer use the camera in this movie. It's so amazing. They create such clever and unique shots. There's one perfect one where it's just Justin Long is shining his <clears throat> cell phone camera down a hallway and you're looking like directly his perspective down the hallway. You can see his arm in front of you. It's a very, very unique shot. But then also just the way he uses uh, force perspectives when when uh, and and darkness. I mean, the darkness of this hallway underneath the building is very well used and you know that the way a cell phone a cell phone uh flashlight doesn't really do all that much when you're in real deep darkness is really used very very well uh it's not like the first time we've ever seen that but it's just a really well performed use of that and i really liked that a lot i liked everything about this movie i thought this movie was awesome uh lots of clever choices uh on a, you know, the, again, it's not a movie that sets out to be funny, but it is funny. Justin Long delivers the best performance of his career. He has never been this good in anything. And that's not to say he's been bad in his career. He's been 
bad movies, of course, but I mean, uh, he, this is just in terms of just specifically Justin Long performances. I think this is the best thing he's ever done. And I was really impressed. I loved the twists and turns with his character. He has a scene set inside of a water tower that is an amazing scene that is so brilliantly subverted immediately after. I just, I just could not stop enjoying that uh, in, a, in a sick and twisted sort of way. I, I love this movie. Oh, absolutely. It's a ton of fun. I mean, let's just stick on Justin Long since you <laughs> left off there. I mean, the only way it could have been better than that is if you were actually that creepy of a guy. Yeah, like it was so, you know, in terms of the performance, not for the mm-hmm. viewing audience, but like he nails it. It's such a brave performance because yeah. that's something you don't want to be remembered for. And he does <laughs> such a great job of it. Of being a creep. Yeah. <clears throat> But uh, he really does. It's uh, it's hard to start in the middle because that's when he pops in. Mm-hmm. But when he discovers the basement, you know, it, it is totally believable the way he reacts. You know, yeah. You and I and most other and that's people. That's a great I, comedy bit. Yeah, that's a great comedy uh, bit too. It's a great comedy bit, but it's also believable. Like it, this yeah, character would absolutely. do that. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> I mean. I didn't want to spoil it, but it, it, it's just so well done, very smart. Uh, the the way she gets trapped down there is right away all the stupid decisions you see in horror movies uh, kind Ooh. of negate because she now can't get out, wants to get out and can't, uh, gets them out of that trap. They voluntarily go back into the trap a couple times where you, mm-hmm. you wonder if so-and-so would act this way but i feel like they did a good enough job uh throughout the rest of the movie defining this character to the point where you would believe she would do some of the things she did uh Mm. maybe at first time through the movie you're kind of like why would she do that or but uh that it's just in her nature uh i Mm -hmm. think and they do a great job of of spending the time with that uh you just never know where this movie's going to go. And even the name of the movie is perfect because it means yeah. nothing. <clears throat> you know? I, yeah. You could easily call it a stupid name, but it, it's perfect because it keeps you like, what What am I? You're waiting for something. Mm-hmm. Uh, the introduction of Richard Brake, uh, that whole scene is just kind of like, okay, what the fuck's going on here? Right. Uh, Excellent. And they just leave it, you know? <laughs> <clears throat> They give you all the visual information you need you need to know to understand the rest of the movie, and that's it. Uh, it's a very it's very economical in that way. They don't spoon feed anything. Uh, it's just, and it doesn't have to. It's not based in any sort of reality other than its own. Mm-hmm. It, it's just all around fun. It's unique. It's not something you see, especially nowadays. Uh, um, a number one box office movie. Granted, it's a weak week, but that isn't part of an IP of some sort. You know, it's its mm-hmm. own original idea. I think this movie is going to live on. Uh, I can definitely see my kids talking about this in a couple weeks, uh, watching it on, wanting to see it on Netflix or Amazon or whenever it comes out. Uh, I got to imagine it's going to pick up a little bit of steam and not just go away after this week, but maybe not. I mean, it's getting a ton mm-hmm. of buzz. I'm seeing it everywhere. 
Yeah, I, I was uh, I was thinking about the marketing campaign for this. The marketing campaign, usually I'm very suspicious when it comes to those campaigns that use audience reactions, because that tends to be like uh, uh, the last refuge of marketing scoundrels is that type of thing. Like Paranormal Activity did a great job of hiding you know, their flaws by, you know, pretending that the audience was jumping in their seats at every little thing. And uh, this, it works to this movie's advantage because again, they, they, with the title and everything, they've not told you anything about this movie and they've managed to market the movie also without telling you anything to the point where you found out Justin Long was in this movie like last week. <laughs> like, that's the level of it. Like, it was literally like they, they kept him out of it until like, oh, and Justin Long. <laughs> the only reason I knew he was in it is because of something he posted on social media, whatever yeah. that was, saying it was the best thing he's ever done, or at least horror movie wise. Uh, and I, here, it really is. I I really can't recommend this enough. Everybody should go, especially if you're into horror movies. You probably have already seen it if you're a real horror fan, because this is the kind of thing that doesn't come around much. You know, usually we get those low rent horror movies, and then the smart ones go straight to on demand or a 24 gets you know a one-off week week release or whatever so this doesn't happen a lot so mm-hmm. uh everybody go see this it's, it's a lot of fun and i'd like to see I'm, I'm saying that this year has been amazing for great horror movies we've got this we've got nope uh we've got x uh i was just thinking the other one of the forsaken which everybody forgot but i still have it because i i think it's still maybe my favorite movie of the year <laughs> it's up there it's up there uh other than a, a couple other ones obviously that are you know the greatest movie of all time but uh, <laughs> the forsaken is up there in terms of my movies of the year that movie's awesome it's just been an amazing movie like legitimately masterpiece level horror films right and you know a, a few years ago or maybe even like 10 or 20 years ago this would have been a huge movie i think because uh, it's it is mainstream enough that i it should attract audiences and be a lot of fun to watch with a group mm-hmm. uh but because it's not an ip it's hard to it's hard to use the marketing to your advantage anymore uh so I, it it is what it is but i do think it's going to find a it's going to continue to grow and be one of those movies everybody ends up talking about within a couple of years. Uh, it is absolutely. It is and funny as my kids come to me with like lists of horror movies that are must sees and they're like all afraid to watch them. And then like they're handing me and like Tusk is on the list. <laughs> <laughs> Just in the long second greatest yeah. horror movie. <laughs> for the, for Michael I love, Parks. <laughs> I love Tusk. Oh, yeah. I love it. <laughs> oh, Tusk is phenomenal. Uh, it's just it's weird to see, but I this, this will definitely be on one the ones they want to watch. But it's ah, I don't know. It, it's just fun. It's supremely clever, and I really am I'm not to. I don't want to degra- degrade Zach Kreger at all, but I mean, just I do could not have seen this coming from him. Uh, just from the one I've seen of him before, Miss March is a terrible film. It's completely unfunny. And I didn't really get into the whitest kids, you know, but I guess Bob Odenkirk was a big fan of those guys and helped get them on TV. So that does say a lot positive about them for me. Uh, But yeah, I didn't expect him to be this good. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I just, I got nothing bad to say about it. Everybody should go see it. Uh, Tons of fun. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Oops. Honk for Jesus, save your soul. 
Hope for Jesus, Save Your Soul stars Regina Hall and Sterling K. Brown as the uh, husband and wife duo behind a mega church uh, somewhere in the South. Uh, the priest has gotten himself into a bit of trouble. It's uh, cost them basically their entire um, the entire congregation that attended their church. And this movie is deeply, deeply confused and confusing to me because I have no idea what they're going for. Initially, it starts off as this sort of parody of these super churches with their mega budgets and the, you know, the priests who justify their wealth by being chosen by God. And, you know, there's this really interesting scene early on where where you see Sterling K. Brown uh, and Regina Hall giving us a tour of their closet. And it it seems like, okay, this is what this is about. This is going to be a send up of of the ridiculous you know money that these people have thrown away to as part of their you know scam religion like that's what it's going to be about exposing their hypocrisy but then as the movie goes along it gets deeply confused as they get very serious about his infidelity and how it affects his wife and regina hall who tends to be very funny here gets kind of dramatic as far as I'm concerned. And yes, she does have some physical comedy stuff going on. And there's a weird scene at the end where she's wearing white face for some reason that didn't quite land as a joke. It seemed like it was funny. They co- I get the contradiction that they were going for with it because she looks so strange, but the scene is so dramatic. But I, it, this movie just fails on every single level to me. Cause I didn't, I thought it was going to be funny and then it tries to be, seemingly serious but then not it like sterling k brown is definitely playing straight ahead comedy for much of the time and then he's not (laughs) i just i was baffled by this movie and came away really disliking it um it just i just don't know what the intention was like there's a great idea here in terms of a comedy because this idea of uh prosperity gospel this idea that uh, rich people aren't uh, are chosen to be rich by God. You know, this idea that uh, the the most divine are chosen by God to be this rich. Uh, that's a very funny idea. There's some, there's a movie to be made mocking that idea. And I thought, I already hoped that that was this movie. Uh, and then they just didn't do that. They just kind of set that up. They teed it up and they walked away from the tee <laughs> in favor of, God knows what uh, to do with the rest of this story, because uh, the, the scenes where they get super dramatic are just completely unfunny and completely played straight. And it's like, where where did this come from? I thought we were going to laugh at these people. Uh, <laughs> I was really confused. And thus, I really did not care for this film. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, there's that TV show, The Righteous Gemstones, which... It's very good, so you, or at least most people think it is. So you, you already have that you're going against. Uh, I do like the performances by Regina Hall and Sterling K. Brown. At least I don't think it was edited well. Uh, mm. I don't think anything is their fault in it. I do think it's just flawed direction. It's like it wants us to do this documentary-style look. Mm-hmm. Like literally telling them to turn the camera off here and there, but then yeah. there are times where clearly the camera is not there and they're showing parts. I mean, there's there's a sex scene and the doc- documentary crew is not in the room, so no. you know they've decided to add this into the movie. Uh, so that not making up their mind whether they want to make it a documentary style film like The Office or something like that, or you know a movie 
uh, they, they haven't made up their mind there. So they're, and, and that's not the only scene where they mess up. There's several times where they show th- scenes where the camera's off, but they show it anyway. Uh, it would have been better off making you wonder. Uh, I I, I want to like it, but it, mm-hmm. it is sloppy. Uh, it's a little bit too long, and it just, like you, like you said, it shifts focus. And I, I just think it's to poor direction. Because, I, I mean, I, I enjoyed watching them for a long time. To- a long time sorry about that mm-hmm. and i never really stopped enjoying them even though when they their characters uh, again I, I just think it was the direction i think them as actors really did a great job i'd love to see Shirley k brown in more comedy i think he was pulling it off right and left mm-hmm. and obviously regina hall is a fantastic actress but like he was movie star level hilarious early on in this movie uh, I could see him, you know, hold, holding his own movie like this, you know, just from being a TV star prior to this. And it just go- gets away from him. And I, all I can say is, is it Adam uh, Ebo or whoever the director is? Uh, mm-hmm. Just a little on the sloppy side, uh, poorly edited, poorly put together. I don't think they knew where to go with it. Uh I just think I think they didn't have the nerve to actually go all the way, go, go all in on making these people outright villains. Uh, you know, they want to sympathize with Regina Hall. And that's, you know, because Regina Hall is so very, very likable. And she is essentially the victim of all this, even as she's kind of choosing her victimhood because she knows she knows what her husband is. She knows what he did and why he does it. And she's going to stick and do it. And she's going to stay in there and be in with it anyway. Uh, so she's kind of bringing that on herself, but uh, the movie sides with her. It wants to be on her side. It wants to wants you to feel sympathetic towards her. And these are not sympathetic characters. These are people who have u- used religion to you know, in- enrich themselves and and uh, at the expense of you know the poor people of their community. And you want me to feel sorry for her? I don't feel sorry for her. I don't. I like Regina Hall, but I, I'm not going to feel sorry for either of these two characters. Uh, the, these are villainous characters. These are characters who de- deserve to be de- treated derisively. They deserve to, they deserve to be uh, played as absurd because they are absurd. These characters are absurd. And the idea that you're going to try and make either of them remotely sympathetic is, is ludicrous. On top of which, they're, they're uh, sort of the, the character, they're kind of, they're, they're opposed to their opposite of their, their opposing church uh, is played very strangely there's another couple who has their own mega church in town and obviously they're stealing all of their congregants uh taking them over to their church and uh there's just nothing about those characters that are memorable or i couldn't remember their names i could and what was their point they weren't funny the movie doesn't make them funny in any way it doesn't treat them like they're hypocrites who are chasing a dollar uh as it does these characters early on so what was the point of that how did is it was it to make us again try to feel sympathetic for Regina Hall and Sterling K. Brown? Because these again are not sympathetic characters. Uh it just it's baffling to me what they thought they were going for here. Well, I think you nailed it on the head now that I think about it, is <clears throat> we want to assume that when the cameras are off, these people go back to normal and you know, know that they're 
I don't know. We want to assume certain things about him, and I and I think this movie does that. They're too afraid to really show who they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, they want to, you know, he's a homosexual. She's a victim, but she's kind of choosing to stay in that victim role, and she could easily get out of it. Uh, they're both taking advantage of people the whole time. There is a level of cluelessness, but lean into it. You know, mm-hmm. make that the character. Don't give them an out which this movie he tries to get both of them an out not just her i mean yeah really and because of that it, it definitely it ends up being forgettable this will definitely be a movie i probably never think about again after this episode uh i just happen to really like regina hall and sterling k brown so i want to like <laughs> like more of this than it is but it, it just is poorly written and poorly directed and I think you're right. If they had leaned into it and stuck with a thing, even if they did the the documentary look the whole time, which I don't think is the right move, mm-hmm. uh, that would have been better than what they did here. <clears throat> here, it's just kind of a mess. And w- when they make her a mime at the end, you're right that if it was somehow so laugh out loud funny that uh, you're like, oh my god, I can't believe they did this. But it was just kind of like, what are they doing this for? You know, it wasn't. It, it should be like absurdly funny. Like you should feel you should feel embarrassed and but at the same time and not sympathetic, but kind of laughing at her and not with her in that moment. Uh, and, and instead, the movie makes her just sad and it makes everybody just seem sad in that moment. And it's like that's re- I think you're really missing. You're missing the joke here. Right. So yeah, it, it's available on Peacock if you want to see it, but uh, you I know, don't recommend it. No, <laughs> the class. The class is a movie I am shocked to recommend. Uh, the class stars Anthony Michael Hall and Debbie Gibson in what is essentially a modern day version of The Breakfast Club. Uh, six kids are uh, called into detention on Saturday morning to. Uh, uh, sit with their theater teacher, Debbie Gibson, and the school counselor played by Anthony Michael Hall. Uh, and they're going through the various different types of you know modern teen problems. They're talking about uh, suicide and abortion and uh, bullying. And uh, one girl has cancer and may be dying. And uh, they're you know coming to terms with all these various different things while they're at odds with each other. And there's a, you know, a lot of secrets and manipulations going on amongst this group of people who really don't even run in the same circles for the most part. And yet they have all these uh, various connections that they're only kind of becoming aware of. Um, It's really smartly played. Uh, These, the Anthony Michael Hall and Debbie Gibson are very much lower supporting roles in this movie. They're there and they do add a great deal, but uh, the, the, the kids are the standouts here. They're the ones right up at the front and they are really, impressive the 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 ways that they deepen the these sort of modern teen problems are very smart they've taken kind of the the archetypes of breakfast club and modern and modernized them in a way that's actually kind of better than what breakfast club did uh they they've taken really a lot of that stuff to heart and kind of inverted a lot of that to kind of make it modern and and almost kind of woke culture if you will uh, with one character who obviously stands out as somebody who goes against that and challenges that, but only does so because he's kind of, well, he's kind of the troll character. Uh, he stands in for that entire subculture of people who are constantly trying to uh, poke and create you know, chaos and trouble wherever they go. And that character does, at the very least, get what's coming to him. But also then, at the end, they give him this moment at the end 
that is fucking beautiful like they really nail it uh the 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 actor i I can't remember his name off the top of my head now but he actually played the janitor in the original breakfast club he's a very if you saw his face you'd know him because he's been in a million movies uh and i'm i'm killing me now i gotta grab his name here i've got it here um because he's just incredible in this movie and he's not a guy who gets the opportunity to do uh stuff like this (laughs) very often so it's it's really impressive that they get let this guy have this john kapalos is his name and uh like i said he's just been in a million different movies but he gets a moment with the his, this kid the the troll character who is also his stepson uh there's a whole other backstory going down there there's a lot of you know deep history between these two and the moment is da- goddamn beautiful it really they nailed that uh but really this movie is just surprisingly good i wouldn't say it's great but it's a very for what they're going for in modernizing the breakfast club as they do they really nail it this is really a smart, well-made movie about the best that a movie like this could be. Yeah, I, I was ready to make fun of it just based on the poster. <laughs> uh, it just seems like all sorts of bad ideas, <laughs> but apparently not. <laughs> uh, that's I kind of really went cool. into a movie thinking that, and then it was kind of blown away by how by how much better than that it is. Are you having a bad day, or was that something bad you watched before then that could have affected how good? It <laughs> no, I think good. I think this is just a genuinely awesome, uh, sweet, smart, well made movie, and uh, you know, both Debbie Gibson and Anthony Michael Hall are very good in this. Uh, Anthony really Michael cool. Hall is playing sort of the. Uh, the the Paul Gleason character uh, from right. the original, but uh, updated to modern times. He doesn't dress like a jerk. He's he he has a genuinely caring side to him, but he's also the the guy who's got to be the stern one, the one who enforces the rules. He's got to be the villain. Uh, Debbie Gibson is very much the the more heroic character, but she's also kind of out of touch in her own way. But they also give her a little bit of backstory that's very interesting and. In I like the way the kids challenge her, and Debbie Gibson really steps up to that challenge. Uh, you know, you don't think of her as much of an actress, but she really meets the challenge that's asked of her in this movie. Well, aside from that, I mean, they're asking to be distractions in this movie, so that's really cool that they're not. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that's a big thing to overcome in a movie like this. So that's really, really impressive. That's really cool. All right, let's move on to Wire Room. Wire room, yes. Oh, I shouldn't be laughing because it's not funny. Because Bruce Willis, I, I feel terrible. Um, this is another, this is one of the last, uh, there's one more after this, I think, the last of the Bruce Willis movies before he decided to finally retire uh, due to his illness. Um, this is a story that uh, stars Bruce Willis as the leader of this wire room where all the CIA taps or fbi or whatever the fuck they are uh they've got all their taps in there and they're tapped uh, this uh, house they've got all these cameras and wires and stuff set up in this house of a guy who's moving guns in this town and they're trying to figure out this one last guy that they got to get on camera to see who he is and kevin Dillon is this guy who's moving over from the secret service it's his first day in the wire room and uh he ends up fucking everything up and <laughs> accidentally because he's just kind of clueless and um then i don't know somehow somehow a small town group of cops end up attacking the cia wire room <laughs> i don't know <laughs> like that's the premise of this thing and like bruce willis you kind of don't know which side he's on at first and 
eventually he'll be revealed as a hero. This movie's terrible. Uh, why you want to? Who who thought it would be a good idea to spend that much time with Kevin Dillon carrying the dramatic front of your movie by himself? I have no idea because this is a terrible idea. <laughs> like, Kevin Dillon is not an actor who steps to the front. He's very much an actor who supports others. I mean, he's the when you're doing examples of like especially sibling pairs like you have the Matt Dillon and the Kevin Dillon he is the Kevin Dillon <laughs> you know it's yeah it's like a Baldwin <laughs> Frank Stallone Sylvester Stallone right yes. <laughs> Patrick uh, Swayze Don Swayze yeah yeah or one of the other three Baldwins <laughs> it it just uh, <laughs> while you were talking about it I wondered if when the script was written if it was ever really good, and then by the time they got it sold, they're just like, let's throw Kevin Dillon in this, and it just slowly tore it apart. Like, all the movies that are like this, there's a million of them out there. If at mm-hmm. any, Some of them probably were good scripts at one point that <laughs> just got torn <laughs> apart by the time a studio got a hold of it. I can't uh, imagine it, this was ever any This good. one didn't sound good just based on the fact <laughs> that a small-town cop broke into a CIA Right away, I don't know how you could have yeah. screwed that one up, but I'm not sure where where is this? Is this supposed to be Washington D.C.? Where are we? Like they never said where we are, but it's a CIA secure facility, and then this small town sheriff and his SWAT team come breaking in to try and destroy the wire room because apparently nobody's ever heard of the cloud. <laughs> like, it's on the internet, dumb fuck. They can just upload that shit to the cloud. You can kill the server if you want. It's still there. <laughs> They're trying to blow up the servers, and I'm just like, they could have transferred that across the country by now, dumb fuck. <laughs> Not that Kevin Dillon would be capable of that, I guess, though. So maybe that's their point. Oh. I don't, I'm not even sure if Kevin Dillon could open a browser on a computer based off of this performance. Was he playing Kevin Dillon, or was he playing a character? <laughs> playing a character. <laughs> Bruce Willis's entire performance, uh, he's a dick. Just a dick to Kevin Dillon. Just a complete ass to him. <laughs> Which, you know, is very easy to do. It's You can see him definitely looking off screen at the cue cards, which is distracting and sad. But then, like, his perf- he leaves, like, uh, right away to go leave the movie and leave Kevin Dillon alone. And he's he's basically on the phone the rest of the movie. <laughs> Until he needs to come back at the end to be blown up and knocked out so he's not part of the final battle. What if this really was a great movie, but Bruce Willis just would not play ball? He wouldn't get off his phone. He wouldn't stop being a dick to Kevin Dillon. So, so they had to cut around all of that. That's not even that's not even his performance. He's just being an asshole right. to Kevin Dillon. They're just filming Bruce Willis, treating him like shit, and really being a dick to the director, not oh. getting off his phone. And they had to work in this. Well, I guess the small town <laughs> cops have to. <laughs> I think. I think honestly, they must. They might have filmed it at, at Bruce's favorite bar too, because like his all of his performance is set is him like stepping out of a bar to answer a call from Kevin Dillon, going, "What the fuck do you want now?" <laughs> <laughs> well, I got. They're coming. They're gonna kill me. All right, well, fucking. I'll, I'll be around. Just, just hold them off, okay? I'll get over there if I can. Did Click. he? Did he ever say why are there cameras here? <laughs> who are you <laughs> i mean it's not funny because of it's what not. he's going through but it's yeah he does have a reputation for doing shit like that so yeah 
take it out of context and it's very very funny <laughs> Bruce Willis being a dick to Kevin Dillon like why the fuck am I in a movie with you <laughs> who the fuck let this guy in here I believe that's actually a line from the movie he kept calling him Matt the whole time <laughs> <sighs> alright that was fun our undisputed classic is Mystic River Yes, uh, Mystic River, directed by Clint Eastwood and starring Sean Penn, Tim Robbins, Kevin Bacon. Uh, is a crime story set in Boston. Uh, and I was, there was some really, this is a really weird experience. Because <laughs> on the one hand, I really think that Kevin, or Sean Penn is just delivering an absolute masterclass in acting. Like, he is giving so much. And the rest of the movie is just kind of there. Kevin Bacon's good. Kevin Bacon's good. Tim Robbins is completely awful in this film. Beginning to end, he doesn't know what the hell he's doing. His character is one who, as a child, he was kidnapped and taken and uh, assaulted by, by a pre- I'm not laughing, he was assaulted by two men. I don't mean to make fun of that, but the way that Eastwood sets the scene is so awful. So he has this kid kidnapped. They put him in the back of the car. The one guy's pretending to be a cop. There's another guy in the car. And the absolute lack of subtlety, like the hammer to the head of what Eastwood is trying to tell us in this scene. The kid gets in the back of the car. The person in the front turns around and makes sure to put his hand with his ring finger on the seat right in front of the camera. Do you see it? That See that? That's my church ring. I'm a priest. You get it? I'm going to fuck you because I'm a priest. <laughs> and then later on, he's being held in a basement. And again, complete, no subtlety whatsoever. They come in and they're going to assault him again. And somehow, even though there's no, no, there's no light in the room, the light is coming from behind the guy. But somehow his cross, his crucifix is just lit, like bursting forth with light to show you again. I'm a priest. I'm here to fuck this child. It's like, OK, Clint, we get it. We get it. We know who they are. OK, <laughs> it gets worse, though, like the. So we cut from there to the modern time. Tim Robbins is walking with his son and his son is like, you know, he's a baseball player. He's like, I suck at baseball. And he's like, no, you don't. You're my kid. Me. I'm Maddie. You know, me. (laughs) Who the fuck talks like this? (laughs) Who the hell says their own name to their son? Does your son not know your name? Why are you you saying your name to your son? It's like the, the audience is too stupid to get the visual connection between the kid in the basement and Tim Robbins. Like, Eastwood is just basically sticking a middle finger up at you, insulting you to your face. Oh, you're never going to understand that this is the same character just because I visually married them. <laughs> God damn it. I was so pissed off. But then Tom, but then Sean Penn comes on screen. I'm like, fuck, that guy's amazing. And he's giving me everything in this movie. He's breaking my heart. So I'm wanting to love him and what he's doing. And even Kevin Bacon is doing Really terrific work. Doesn't show his dick one time in the movie. <laughs> Loses points for that. <laughs> <laughs> There's a police locker room. I don't know why they didn't take it back. No shit. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's just weird. And there's so much that could be good about this, but this is something again where late period work of Clint Eastwood, like his work in the two thousands is completely lost subtlety like he seems to almost be explaining to himself 
what he needs to communicate in the movie. Like uh, fifteen seventeen is a great example of that. Good oh, God, worst movie of all time. Yes, yeah, fucking awful. Uh, but you know, trouble with the curve is another one where it's like it's just every piece of information. I have to vocally tell you every piece of information. Um, I'm not sure he directed that one. I don't know. He I, I was in it. Yeah, but it doesn't matter. It's the same. It's the same thing. And you know, again, his influence over it, I'm sure, um, made it that way. Um, it's a thing that's. I don't. I'm, makes me worried to watch any more of his movies now. I like. Am I going to hate Million Dollar yeah. Baby? Did if we I go back and rewatch watch American Sniper. <laughs> It was amazing. <laughs> I loved American Sniper. Yeah. yeah. What if I watch it again? It's like, oh shit, I was totally wrong. And that's not that old. <laughs> so, no. Uh, it's weird. He's so up and down. I don't know. Uh, but this was considered up at the time because even then it was yeah. up and down. He'd make a good and a bad one, a good and a bad one. And this was the good one. But yeah. you're hundred percent right. I, this is like a bad movie with fantastic performances, with the exception of Tim Robbins. But I don't necessarily blame him. <laughs> Because mm-hmm. uh, and the people around him allow I think him. He's to, directed to act yes. that way, and with Marsha Gay Harden and Sean Penn and all them around him, they make it work. That's how good mm-hmm. they are in it in the scenes with him. Uh, but the story's kind of weak. You kind of know where it's going the whole time. And if it wasn't for Sean Penn and Kevin Bacon being so good, in Lawrence Fishburne with Kevin Bacon together, uh, this would be a disaster. I mean, this would be. F- 15 17 levels bad yeah uh, i, I mean even if you get down to the the sort of the tragic ending of this movie it it it's almost thrown together with tim robbins what they come up with for tim robbins having done to explain how he was at the start of the movie uh he comes home early in the film covered in blood on the same night that the daughter of sean penn's character goes missing and ends up murdered uh how they come about explaining that they don't bother to explain it fully until the very end of the fucking movie. And it's like, where did that come from? And it would have been, it wouldn't have gotten that. I just, I can't buy that it would have gotten that far. You know? Exactly. I mean, why wouldn't you have just told the truth? I mean, they, I get that he's deeply traumatized and he has been for, you know, his entire life by what happened to him as a kid, but that doesn't explain him being a mastermind when he's being interviewed by Kevin Bacon and, and Lawrence Fishburne and outwitting them. Like the like like he is actually the ki- killer, but but then he's a complete basket case the rest of the movie, right? It, it it's sloppy and it's really poor direction and uh, I, I I hated this. I, was, I mean, but you're right. The perfor- Sean Penn, fucking incredible, insane. Like in I mean, I'm watching this movie and there's so much of it I'm just not caring for but then he comes on screen and he is the embodiment of human despair like he's giving me shakespeare in these scenes it's amazing there's just a scene with him and tim robbins sitting on a porch talking and i'm just about in fucking tears just thinking about it because he's so good and this is a character you don't like in tim robbins that they've already that's how good pen pulls that performance up and makes you get past it uh it and even upon the first viewing back in my early 20s, granted, I was a different movie viewer back then, but it, it Sean Penn that tricked all of us. He was able to give this some sort of uh, some legs and make it seem like a really good movie at the time. Oscar worthy movie. Yeah. Uh, but it but there, I mean, the elements, so many of the elements are there, like the the game of chess that you're building near the end with Kevin Bacon and Sean Penn. Like they're showed when they see each other at the parade, like that's setting up a much more interesting movie. <laughs> like that's kind of the movie I want to see now because like that is 
that is headed towards a direction that that could be the departed almost like that's so interesting uh how they get there though is so dumb well it's a house of cards it's it's so it's it's not it holds no water you don't buy into it so it it, all that is for nothing even though they do such a good job that you want to see it yeah Uh, i mean it you're right it it, it's damon dicaprio level like i want to see those two go at it head to head yeah absolutely like the again i keep going back to sean penn's performance and because it is an incredible performance what he's the, the the building tragedy of this guy who got his life right and went straight and you know left criminality behind but kept his fingers in it just enough to to be this vaunted figure in his neighborhood and him being tempted towards going back to that life going back to that criminal life especially after this horrendous trauma and then you've got Kevin Bacon this push pull of him wanting to you know see his former friend in a positive light but seeing also that He's a potentially very dangerous guy. There's a really, there's a great deal of Shakespearean emotion going on here. And I think Eastwood just pisses it away. Well, and I, and even the weaker parts of the movie, you know, the whole Marsha Gay Harden, Tim Robbins connection, they do a good enough job, I guess, to make you get through it. But, I mean, she's the wife and is just now scared of the guy. I mean, it's... It, it, I don't know. There's a it's there's just, a very weird dynamic where they're both they're both having to be the weakest people in the movie. He's a you know this weak willed victim character, and she's his victim, so she's even weaker than he is. And they're both constantly on the verge of tears at every moment. It just doesn't ring true in any way because there are a lot of people who've been through a lot of trauma who are constantly on the verge of tears. I don't know why Hollywood thinks that anybody who's been through something traumatic is constantly about to cry. Uh, that's not how the real world works. But both Marsha Gay Harden and Tim Robbins seem to have tears in every scene. They're weepier than Hugh Jackman in the Darren Aronofsky movie. And it makes you wonder if they wanted to do something different. Eastwood made yeah. it do it this way. And they're like, can we shoot one for myself? And they're like, nope. Why do you want to waste their time? You know, he's famous <laughs> for saying that to actors. <laughs> Yeah. when they want extra takes so uh, it, it just it, it you're right a weird experience is the best way to describe this because this is a weak movie with some fantastic performances that make it watchable but you just keep going i, I don't like this do i <laughs> i don't believe this i mean i don't know it, it just, hinges the entire thing on this bizarre coincidence like what would make anybody think that's going to hold water the bizarre coincidence of this guy coming home covered in blood having not killed the friend of the daughter of his former close friend who still lives in the neighborhood those two things happening on the same night um yeah you've hinged a lot of your movie on convincing that convincing us that that's possible and it just doesn't work well on top of that you're showing us a lot of tim robbins if he's barely in the movie Maybe you can buy into this thing, but we see him enough that one, he goes from pathetic to this master mind. And when he's being interrogated to back to pathetic again, yeah, uh, you keep him off screen, keep him in the background. Then maybe you do have something there, but they show way too much of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't even need to know that Marsha Gay Harden thinks I, all I need to know is that Tim Ro- or that Kevin Bacon and Lawrence Fishburne's character are investigating him and that they can, there's a legit connection there. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
and then maybe I could buy Sean Penn doing what he does, but everything else they just show us too much. I mean, it, it's. Yeah. Yeah. And then the, I mean, the the resolution of the daughter's murder is almost you know, randomly assigned as well. When you yeah, when you really break these down into the into the parts, so yeah, it's just almost randomly assigned. That said, being a fan of Shameless, it was cool. To, I didn't know Emmy Ross was the daughter in this, and uh, I I really like her as an actress. So that was really cool to see her in the movie uh, early on. Mm-hmm. just weird uh i guess i'm interested if people are to go back and watch it i'm, I'm kind of glad that we're on the same page because i wasn't really sure what to bring to this movie this week I'm like, <laughs> uh, i wasn't sure what i watched and cause i yeah. loved this movie when i first saw I it and i thought still, i did and i still love sean penn uh, sean penn is so amazing like i mean this is almost it, it's a terrible movie that's almost good because he's so good uh-huh yeah, absolutely. That is the best way to put it. it. Is a freaking train wreck that Sean Penn. He's a. It's a master class. I mean, those monologues are gorgeous. I mean, yeah. and it's not hammy. He's not hammy at all. At People all. accuse accuse him of being hammy. He's not hammy in this performance. This that one. is that is just raw. That is raw emotion. Not not hammy over the top. No, no, emotion. This isn't scenery chewing bullshit. This. Yeah. I mean, Tim Robbins is. Kind of, kind of chewing the scenery, but Sean Penn's not. It's, yeah, yeah. Watch it for Sean Penn. Let me know what you think. <laughs> yeah. All right. So let's stop the share here. And next week we've got a big one. Or I guess we got the nineteen ninety two movies. I forgot about those. Bob Roberts wasn't available, but that was why we picked this movie. Yeah, and it's weird. It's weird to have a movie like that not be available right now, considering like the last. <laughs> it's the most Antifa movie of all time, and it's not available in the time when we actually have an Antifa movement. Right. It's weird, but yeah, I watched a lot as many clips as I could. Bob Roberts is this uh, extraordinarily right wing candidate for for a senator, and uh, he's building up this like. I mean, pre obviously, well, pre-Trump, obviously, but this sort of like Trumpian following. When you look at it from today's perspective, where people just are are downright worshipful of every word that he says, and he's never wrong about anything, and he's just this massive demagogue. Uh, and I don't know how the movie ends because I couldn't see the ending. <laughs> Got elected, then he caused. Uh, he wouldn't he wouldn't leave office? <laughs> This is a guy who was definitely there on January 6th. <laughs> I'm not sure the movie has ended yet. I think we're still figuring it out. Uh, also, that came out out on a limb. Uh, since we skipped last week, uh, Hellraiser 3 came out, as well as Sneakers, the ultimate dad movie. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Next no week. Sneakers. Yeah, I've seen that way too many times just in the background because my dad watched it a that's lot. The, that's kind of the movie that it is. It's that movie your dad falls to sleep to on Saturday afternoon. Right. College football just ended up putting on sneakers and taking a nap. Oh, Wire, wire Room. Bruce Willis made another movie. Navy Seals. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of... Next week, Clerks 3 has its, uh, what's it called, Fathom Events release. Uh, yeah, it's running screenings. S- September 13th through uh, September 19th is the only time you're going to see it in theaters. And then, of course, it's going on the road after that. 
which we're going to see it in Milwaukee the weekend of my birthday, so that should be fun. Yeah. Uh, also, Good Night Mommy comes out, the remake. Uh, another Fletch movie called Confess Fletch. Uh, God's Country. And then, obviously, two more that I've seen a lot of advertising for. Pearl, the prequel to X, which I cannot wait to see. And then The Woman King, which I've seen a lot of trailers for that. And I'm curious uh, how good that is with Viola Davis. I've got a review of God's Country already up. If people want to check that out, I do wish people would see that film. It's pretty incredible, but uh, I think it's going to die a death at the box office, unfortunately. But is we'll it, talk about it next week. Is it theatrical only? Yeah, it's the it's in theaters. Not on demand, too. <laughs> no, no, that one's a. Uh, oh, Fletch is the only one that's getting buried on demand. <laughs> Great. Well, I have to be on a plane. I need to download some shit. So. <laughs> Uh, which makes our classic Fletch. Uh, hopefully that last that holds up. I don't know if it will. Oh, I, I've got a bad feeling about some just really. I, I believe there's blackface. I'm just not. I'm not sure of it, but I'm pretty sure I have a memory of blackface in that movie, which is going to make it uncomfortable, among many other things. I'm sure. Uh, I in my head, in my head, I can see him in blackface, and I can also see him doing a really awful Indian accent. Oh. Uh, this is gonna suck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I <laughs> definitely at least one of those things happen. I mean, pretty much everything he does has one of those things in it. Uh. Anyway, also in nineteen ninety two, several movies came out. Uh, most importantly, Captain Ron, uh, as well as. <laughs> Husbands and Wives, Peter's Friends, Serafina, School Ties, Singles, and South Central. So it's actually kind of a... Singles? Really? Oh, yeah. wow. I love Singles. Kind of one a, of my all-time favorites. Hell of a week. Yeah. Especially back when Cameron Crowe was like really kicking ass. You know what's weird is the, it, what I find just bizarre is the number of times people have mentioned Captain Ron to me. Like, why do people remember that movie? <laughs> I, my brother being a huge Kurt Russell fan, I think he has like a, even a Captain Ron. Po- I mean, he's got a million posters. Like, <laughs> like he buys the though some artists will do a rendering of it and then sell you know a hundred limited edition posters or whatever. And anytime they do a Kurt Russell movie, he buys it. Uh, mm. So he even got Captain Ron, uh, which I don't remember him even watching. But that's next week. So I am looking hey, for Does he have to, the uh, computerized tennis shoes as well? <laughs> I don't think they've made that any paintings for that. He's seen it. He's a big fan. I mean, he's a completist. So okay. <laughs> he'll define anything Kurt Russell does. <clears throat> and in hindsight, he's kind of been right. Kurt Russell was definitely underappreciated. <laughs> I don't think Kurt Russell even fully understood <laughs> what he was as an actor. <laughs> Uh okay, let's see. Oh Jesus Christ! For fuck's sake! <laughs> Beaches, <laughs> driving Miss would Daisy. You, would you like to shoot yourself or cut your wrists? Which would you prefer? <laughs> I don't. I think these are both long and painful deaths. <laughs> shoot yourself, but your the gun grazes upwards and only wounds you. <laughs> Beaches. <laughs> yeah, I didn't check the running time, but that's fine. All right, what do we got next? 
Dumb and Dumber, The Bad Guys. Neither of us watched The Bad Guys. No, we did not. Dumb and Dumber, the Star Wars, The Force Awakens. Force Awakens for me. Sure. You know what's fucking annoying is mm-hmm. all of a sudden, like if we're out in public with my son, he'll just walk up to random people and be like, Harry Potter, or Lord of the Rings. <laughs> 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 and I just want to smack him. <laughs> <laughs> I don't particularly like either. You know, that would only embolden him. I know. <laughs> You're showing your hand being annoyed by it. Like, that's, that, that's giving him carte blanche to keep doing it. I mean, I would rather... I mean, I told him, you really should just be like Lord of the Rings or Star Wars. That's where you should go. <laughs> ben Affleck or Casey Affleck? <laughs> <laughs> uh, speaking of Ben Affleck, Gone Baby Gone or The Count of Monte Cristo? Gone Baby Gone. Yeah. I mean, I've had to stop him from, like, going up to the counter at, like, the store. I'm like, you just got to stop. You know what would be interesting? If if Ben Affleck would have directed Mystic River. Oh, absolutely. When you consider what he did with Gone Baby Gone and the town, which are both set in the same area, he's from that area. He's kind of very loves that area. He's already made two, like I said, two incredible movies there. Like, uh, yeah, it would have been amazing to see him make Mystic River. It's amazing to see him make that a part. I think it's the too. same. I think it's the same uh, writer, the the author. I think you're right. But even like the departed, I mean, as good as Scorsese did, it was a very just. I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. It wasn't Goodfellas, but it was. It was just kind of like a, almost like a popcorn Scorsese movie, if that makes sense. Very watchable, very entertaining. But uh, I, I think you're right. Affleck could have knocked it out of the park. Affleck directing Sean Penn. And I don't think, I think he would have got the story right. I don't know. It would have been, God damn it. Now we're gonna, <laughs> it's like the Nicolas Cage and American Beauty thing. It's like, now I want to see the movie. All right. Waiting or Shark Tale? Waiting. Waiting, having not seen it since 2005. <laughs> <laughs> it's terrible. It's unwatchable, but Shark Tale is somehow even more unwatchable. Well, right, but I'm sure Waiting would actually probably we openly hate it even more if you watch it today than what we did then. <laughs> uh, Free Willy, They Live. They Live. Very easy. Uh, Star Trek Beyond, James and the Giant Peach. Star Trek Beyond. Agreed. What We Do in the Shadows fight, flight plan. I've not seen What We Do in the Shadows. I want to, though, because I've started watching the TV show, and it's fucking hilarious. Yeah, I remember being excited about it when we saw the trailers way back when, but then I... just never came yeah. out theatrically. It just went right, right to VOD, and then, yeah, I just never got around to it. And COVID hadn't happened yet, so we didn't have to watch those movies. <laughs> <laughs> if only COVID had come sooner. Damn it. <laughs> 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 boyhood flight plan boyhood absolutely oh man I heard somebody else is doing a boyhood like movie I can't remember who it is now but there's somebody else who's got one that they've been working on for 15 or 20 years that's awesome uh, Ocean's 12 El Mariachi El Mariachi Cinderella Man in her space. Uh, I 
I don't care for inner space. I don't think it's very funny or very interesting. But neither is Cinderella Man. It's Ron Howard being Ron Howard. <laughs> hey, I've got Russell Crowe as a boxer. Let me shave off all of the edges. What? No. <laughs> no. He's Russell Crowe. Damn it. <laughs> yeah, no, he's a boxer and he's soft and cuddly. No. What? <laughs> Just want to watch him punch people, damn it. Yeah, I mean, that's what he does in real life. <laughs> All right, then I'm going to get rid of both of them because I, I don't have an opinion either. Jarhead, Home Alone. Jarhead. Yeah, Tomorrowland, Spy Game. Spy Game. Oh. I wasn't Tomorrowland, I found dis- very disappointing. Yeah, I remember now. Live Free or Die Hard, Changeling. Fuck, now I don't want to watch Changeling again. Shit. Because <laughs> I like, I've got a very positive review of Changeling, I think. Ugh. And I, I don't really care for Live Free or Die Hard. Um, where are you going? I was going to go Changeling, but I forgot it was Clint Eastwood. <laughs> I just remember Angelina Jolie. Uh, she's really good. Yeah, she's really great in that. Let's maybe, go there. Maybe she there. has a Sean Penn. Maybe she takes a bad movie and makes it good. Yeah, that's very possible. Rocky Two, Let the Right One In. Let the Right One In for me. Oh, I 100% agree. I love that. I mean, I like Rocky too, but I like Rocky too. Let the right one ends amazing. A secretary saw three. That is tough for me. I find that incredibly tough. I, I love all the Saw movies. I think they all come together. I think they all work. Um, secretary is an incredibly unique and kind of sneakily brilliant film. Secretary. Yeah, I think you're right. I think just James Spader is such a movie star in that film. He's just he's playing like this total creep, but like in the in the kindest, sweetest way possible. <laughs> it's like the perfect James Spader romantic hero. <laughs> Could you imagine if Clint Eastwood made that movie? I mean, is it Dylan all just be crying all the time? Yeah, I mean. <laughs> He's not a hack, but God damn it, he's not far from it. At the time. I mean, I'm not kidding. I think that one movie, 1570, whatever the fuck it's called, Oof. is the worst movie ever made. It's it's up there. It's it, it's it is birdemic levels of bad. Yeah, I mean, like it, it belongs next to the room level. I, of I bad. think it's worse than that. The room at least had there was like something behind it. The guy was trying to say, and it comes off, and now it's more of a joke. Mm-hmm. But Clint Eastwood, it was just it was a hack job. Uh, In terms of just overall incompetence, uh, I think it compares with those movies, right? Like, yeah, Manos, the Hands of Fate is honestly a fair comparison to Fifteen Seventeen to Paris. Because similarly, I mean, it's similarly movies where nothing happens for very long periods of time, <laughs> and then something sort of dramatic happens. 15, 17 is just, I don't know. It was just in common. It's poorly made, poorly put together. It's it, it's very easy for people to to blame the guys, you know, the actors oh, who were not clean. actors because they were the real guys in the movie. So it's easy to blame them because they're not real actors. But Eastwood gives them absolutely no direction. 
he sends them into a <clears throat> into a fucking shop to get fucking ice cream for ten fucking minutes. Uh, oh, let me try that one. Yeah, what is that? The chocolate. Oh, let me try that. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, did you, do you like? Did you try that one? Yeah, it was really good. Can we try? Can we try the lemon? Yeah, let's try that. That's really good. That's a scene. That is a fucking scene in fifteen seventeen. Apparently, I am not making that up. That is an abbreviated scene. <laughs> that is a scene in that movie. Yes, <laughs> but you made it shorter. <laughs> it goes on much longer than that. Yes, it goes on for a fucking eternity. Oh my god. I mean, I, I don't like. Clint I mean, look at, look at Gran Torino. I mean, it, Gran Torino is not a subtle film in any way. There's zero subtlety. Right. Uh, oh, I remember right. liking that at the time. I don't remember. <laughs> it feels like the glass is broken again. Like <laughs> we've held it. We've held the shield as long as we could. Now everything's coming through. And I mean, there's obviously unforgiven is still there. Yeah. Unforgiven still works. <laughs> But that he knows that he lives that world. He's been in that world his entire career. There's a passion there that he was able to deliver on. Again, amazing actors that carried it that, that helped mm-hmm. him get there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was something he was passionate about. Everything else, maybe we do need to revisit and see if he's any good. <laughs> maybe, yeah. Uh, Super Mario Brothers, Three Men and a Baby. <laughs> Three Men and a Baby. At least it's kind of charming. The Dukes of Hazard Splash. Splash. Sound of Music Sideways. That's hard for me. I love both of those movies. I, I really, I've so come around on the Sound of Music in a way that I never thought I would. Like, such a revelation for me. But I also love Sideways a lot. I mean, it's such a good movie, which I'm surprised to talk to people about it now. And they're like, that movie sucks. Like, what, do you, what movie did you watch? What? <laughs> I, I mean, Sideways was the, one of those movies like Lost in Translation or whatever where you had your movie geeks that liked it and then everybody else that hated it. And I had to be one of the geeks that liked it. I, I think it's fantastic. It, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go there. I'm going to go there. As much as I love the sound of music, um, there's an element of recency bias maybe. They're just hard to compare because one's like a classic film and the other one's a smaller uh, indie type movie. Not quite indie, mm-hmm. but really small. And it, I te- tend to lean towards those over the uh, bigger ones, but it is what it is. Insomnia, Outbreak. Insomnia. But I still have a soft spot for Outbreak. It's the only Dustin Hoffman movie I like. And it's probably the worst one. He's ever, everybody else hates it. That's the one I like. It's the one these are really awful. In. I love. I love it that Outbreak is my favorite Dustin Hoffman movie. I'm gonna put that on my resume. That's my Dustin Hoffman. It's Outbreak, Dustin Hoffman. Y'all can have your Tootsie, Dustin Hoffman. Your Midnight Cowboy, Dustin Hoffman. I get Outbreak, Dustin Hoffman. <laughs> I, I mean. <laughs> It's funny because I'm just going to bring it back to Barbarian. Having Dustin Hoffman and Wag the Dog is like having like James Franco in uh, Barbarian playing the Justin Long character. <laughs> Am I wrong? <laughs> you're not wrong. <laughs> Instead of having an actor wrong. play it, you're having a guy who's kind of that guy. <laughs> he kind of is that guy. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Rain of Fire, Hell or High Water. Hell or High Water. Awesome fucking awesome movie. movie. 
real steel 127 hours. 127 hours by a lot. Like starts listening to us. Uh, he's all that Black Panther. Black Panther, no question. Absolutely, dinosaur grown-ups. Dinosaur. I don't even like dinosaur. <laughs> I don't even know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's not grown-ups though. It it doesn't have a deer pissing on Adam Sandler's face. So, tell you what <laughs> yes. though, if it was grown-ups or fifteen seventeen. <laughs> <laughs> Grown-ups, grown-ups all the way all day long and grown-ups too i'll watch them both <laughs> yeah, i'll take both of those oh hell is a double feature of drive and 15 <laughs> or crash was, crash and, sorry drive crash uh, and 1517 yeah dark shadows dangerous liaisons dangerously is i still want to watch dangerous liaisons again but i know it's better than dark shadows yeah i haven't seen it since like i was 16 Doc Hollywood, Freddy versus Jason. Picking Freddy versus Jason, but again, it's another movie that I have a weird soft spot for. I think Doc Hollywood was one of the first great boob movies for me because there's a great, there's a great, there are great boobs in that movie. There, there's just one shot; it's just one character who shows her boobs in the movie, but they're spectacular the way they're introduced. Yeah. <laughs> that is a very special scene to me. I don't. Disagree. I was I was 15. Um, yeah. Yeah, I I was a little older because I waited a while to see it, but it was weird to see Michael J. Fox in a movie with boobs. <laughs> <laughs> but Freddie versus fifteen Jay. year fifteen year olds when you see that uh, at so. fifteen years old when you, especially especially when it's the most unexpected boobs like you just that first of all that actress wasn't the kind of actress you expect to show her show her boobs and then. You know, it's a Michael J. Fox movie, so you're not certainly not expecting that there would be boobs in that movie. And then suddenly, bam, beautiful shot. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely perfect. Just her rising out of the water naked. Damn. You would think wow. that'd be Freddy versus Jason, which it's in there too, but <laughs> no, but as expected. <laughs> uh, Freddy versus Jason is way more fun than it has any right to be. Uh, I, I don't know how they made that work, but they did. <laughs> Uh, even if i just completely hilarious because we're about to have a james bond movie here uh lose and there was a, you know everybody made this really big deal about how halle berry was going to be a bond girl and a daniel in a in a what was it daniel craig or pierce brosnan i can't pierce remember brosnan. but like she comes out of the water in a full bikini and you're like that's impressive but it's no doc hollywood <laughs> <laughs> it's no swordfish either <laughs> All right, last one, Spectre in Bruges. In Bruges. <laughs> All right, we will see you next week. Bye, everybody. Is that too much boob talk? I'm, I apologize. No, I you might be offended. No, I. It's it's funny. I think we're trying to make light of our yeah, younger selves. I was Fifteen, you know. I'm, I'm not that I don't pop for boobs now, but I don't brag about it anymore. <laughs> I'm with you though. <laughs> I think there's a I think there's a measurable difference there. <laughs> <laughs> I agree 100%. All right. All right. Talk to you later. See ya. Bye.